Welcome to the Pillow Talk podcast. I'm Will Beck. I'm your host. And today I've got a special guest, Jay Cyrus. He's a comedian and he's my partner, Jay Davis's favorite, favorite, favorite internet comedian ever. He just uh, goes nuts for your content. So thanks for coming on and, uh, you know, hey man, thanks for having me. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, it's kind of weird that I haven't met Jay. I've only dealt with Will. You've met Jay. Have I? He was at the uh, dinner in Vegas. Oh, okay. So I did meet him there. You did meet him there. I, I am the, you know, Jay gatekeeper kind of, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, 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 now that you said it, I remember meeting a Jay at the dinner. I just didn't know that was the Jay. Cause I guess, you know, he didn't fangirl or anything. Oh man. I told him that, uh, you were coming and I was introduced to you, uh, by Chad Jamian. And I thought your content was really funny. I'm like, oh, this guy's yeah. great. But I did not know who you were. And I told <laughs> Jay, and he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, dude, uh, Jay Cyrus. And he's like, I love that guy. He started pulling up your old vines. And he, <laughs> <laughs> he just like, wa- That's great. You know, it was like an hour of him being like, watch this one, watch this one, watch this one. That's great. I love Chad too. Do you guys have Chad on yet? Yeah, I had Chad on, man. Uh, I gotta like, watch that one. I love him so much. He's such a sweetheart, dude. Like, uh, he's really funny. He's very different. He's and, so uh, funny. <laughs> he's one of the funniest people I know for sure. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. He but he's just so kind too. Like, I'm like, man, this guy's very kind. Such a sweetheart, man. He's, he's so nice to guy. me all the time. I'm like, what did I do to earn this uh, kindness from you? He's so nice. So. Uh, if you get on that guy's bad side, you got to be doing something wrong. Does he have a bad bad side? Does I've never seen it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, you never know. Yep. Um, how'd you sleep last night? Amazing. And I'll tell you why. Tell me. Because I, I'm a side <laughs> sleeper. And I slept on the new Pillow Cube mattress. That is absolutely fantastic. And I'm not just saying this. I literally... There's... It's been since high school that I've gotten up and not wanted to get out of bed. Every day I get up, I'm like, all right, let's start the day. Uh-huh. With this new pillow cube mattress, I'm like, damn, I'm so well rested, but like, I don't want to leave this haven. Dude, I don't know. Is that a good thing or bad? It, you, know? It, you know, it could, it, you know, it's all about willpower. But the, <laughs> the bottom line is the mattress is incredible. My back feels better. This is like an, an actual testimony. My back was hurting so bad from this other mattress. And I had done everything like with the pillow toppers and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Dude, this mattress ergonomically by itself, no pillow toppers, no like fluff. Rock, it, it rocks. I mean, of course I have the cooling cover mm-hmm. because Vegas is a, a million sauna. degrees. Yeah. And that also helps a, an infinity. But no, dude, it, between that and the pillow, this, my, my side sleeper is screaming with joy. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're happy. Absolutely. Um, the thing that I really like about the mattress, and it's like kind of hard to convey to people, is that like we have springs in the hip area mm-hmm. that are designed to kind of push your hips up and allow, and they're a little softer, the springs are in the shoulder area. Wow. So it allows your hips to go up, your shoulder to go down, and then you can have your back totally like flat instead of being like kind of pulled apart. I knew that there was some kind of wizardry going on. I just didn't know what it was. And then a lot of people have shoulder pain too. 
And so when you have the shoulder to sink in a little bit more, it takes the pressure off of the shoulders. So that, that's the side sleeper specificity of that mattress. And I'll, you know, I'm also kind of worried though that people will be like, well, my partner isn't a side sleeper, so they're going to hate this. And if well, you're I, I, that's a back sleeper, thought. it doesn't affect it really at all. You know no. what I mean? Like it's still great, um, but it just gives a little bit of adjustment in how a side sleeper is supported. Yeah, absolutely. My my, my roommate's uh, definitely a back sleeper, and he was like, "Let me let me take this thing for a spin." And he got on there, and he's like, "This is heaven." I was like, "Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, it's great." Awesome. Glad that we uh, got the back sleeper support. You got the back sleeper support. So what's your uh, morning routine look like? Like, what do you do when you first get up? Typically, I get up, I make my bed. Always got to make my bed. Like a military making your bed. You're like on it. It's like the thing about it. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if if you get up every morning and the first thing you do is make your bed, you'll be so much more like efficient throughout the day. Mm-hmm. because you've already done something. You got the confidence of like, I'm doing things, you know, like <laughs> I made my bed. I did that. What's I, next? I'm legit. I'm on top of the world. You know, so I do that. And then, uh, so more, more times than most, I'll meditate Do a little meditation before coffee. That way I'm not like mm-hmm. shaking while I'm meditating. What's your meditation like? Uh, it's a good 10 minute sit with, uh, kind of like an instructional headspace of just kind of breathing techniques uh, mixed with kind of letting in and pushing out, you know, like your thought process, you know, letting it in when it's needed, pushing it out when you, when you need the space from it and whatnot. And, you know, combined with good sleep, meditation is absolutely crucial. Mm. So my day to day. the uh, breathing techniques, what, what are you doing specifically there? In through the nose, out through the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for a good bit of the first half, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And then, and then you let you, your, your body breathe naturally. So I guess naturally through me is in and out, in and out of the nose or in yeah. and out of the mouth, you know, like, cause it's not in through the nose, out of the mouth. I've, I've noticed that one, like the beginning of my meditation i was so bad at in through the nose out through the mouth because it was so unnatural to me but now i've gotten it down to the science of like practice and doing it for that particular you know segment of meditation but at, you know at one point when you are relaxed and you are like in your chi so to speak then you can go back to normal breathing do um, you try to like breathe really deep breaths and pull a lot of air in are you trying to like hold your breath for periods like what or is it just normal i don't think i I don't think you 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 don't you don't i think you're supposed to really try to like overdo it with the inhale and exhale i think you just do you just go big you Uh don't you don't necessarily go further or stretch or like over exhaust you just like as big as you can you know you just Mm -hmm. go for it which like even doing that just alleviates so much. I'm like, oh, really? it feels good. I, I have played around with just doing weird breathing things, but I'll like <laughs> breathe in, breathe out, and then hold for a while to like kind of deny myself and then take a big breath and try to enjoy it. And I, I read something that like if you allow the oxygen to be used for a while first, or like like circulate a little bit rather than just kind of flooding it in, like it, it, it's actually a little better for you. Um, it was That's interesting. Book I read called Breath, and oh. uh, 
it's all breathing and it's like kind of like the history of how people have breathed and how different communities have breathed like some people through the mouth some people through the nose and like how it affects like teeth and like dental structure and how really? it affects like like your health yeah i can actually see that that actually makes sense yeah and it's like wow societies that breathe through their nose have like perfect teeth <laughs> so dude i bet oh my goodness yeah, just kind of random stuff, but it was a it was a super fascinating book. So I like to play around with breath, but I think it allows you to have kind of like this counter anxiety feeling, you know, of just like, hey, owning the moment and just being comfortable. Right. Um, do you think a lot about what you're going to do during the day when you're meditating, or are you what is your where do your thoughts go? My my thoughts uh range. I mean, I think there's like this kind of underlying current of like you know what are you doing for progression what are you doing for you know the the future of your life and i think that's in 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 a sense where most of the anxiety comes from so i think what i try to do is blanket those thoughts with a more elevated sense of direction like this is how far you've made it mm -hmm. this is what you have done be grateful for this embrace this as what it is rather than worrying about what cannot be and what you cannot control. And I think coming to that in like this kind of circular, you know, realm of thinking is really what I have to do in order to go through the rest of my day with being like, Hey, just do what you can mm -hmm. do what you can and embrace what you have. You've got some serious, serious depth, you know, I, you I know, I'm telling you, man, I'm a little deeper than, than you're people just not a funny guy. For. You're more than that. I'm more than just a funny guy. I, uh, the, uh, thought of like, you know, where are you going? Like, what do you want out of life? I th it is so important to have goals and to have like this desire for improvement, you know, and we'll work on making ourselves better. Right. But the being content and like aware of like your progress in the past is such a critical part of that. So you're, I think one, not too hard on yourself, but like the feeling of gratitude of, wow, like I'm blessed to be here and to have all this opportunity and to have made this kind of progress is kind of like makes it so you, uh, you find that happiness, you know, the contentment. Absolutely. And I think, um, with me and I think other creators, I mean, you know, who do the whole internet thing like me. Yeah. Especially, you know, I've been doing this for over almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And if, if the internet and these like flashes in the pan of social media platforms have taught me anything, it's just like, you can't, no matter where you are in life, you cannot put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Because, you know, like with the whole Vine thing, Vine was like the bread and butter. It was like, what was, you know, it started off, I started off when I, before I did Vine, you know, working all these jobs that I didn't care for uh, that, that weren't bringing me financial happiness at all. And then Vine happened. And even in the beginning of Vine, it was like, I was still like just this broke guy making funny videos. And then when brands got involved, I made so much money that it was like, I didn't know what to do or how to manage it or how to, you know, understand taxes and mm -hmm. all this other stuff. But then it got to the point where I was like, I was sitting so pretty in this kind of like, hey, well, every day is going to be like this for the rest of my life. 
this is great. Yeah. And that was <laughs> not the truth at all. Um, and you know, I got hit like with the whole tax thing, like, Hey man, you're supposed to give some of that back. You know, like you gotta give that everything you make isn't what you make. And the more you make, the more they take. Um, which was a hard lesson for me actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, not that it, it ruined my life, but it definitely put a dent in it. And then from there, you know, I was like, okay, like as long as I keep pushing forward and Vine keeps being a thing, I'll be okay. And then Vine dies. Twitter cuts the rope. How did Vine die? Like that to me seems so crazy. It's like the hottest, newest. It'd be like if somebody just was like, hey, you know what? We're having a tough time with TikTok. We're just going to cut it off. Well, here's the difference between the two. Vine was doomed from the beginning and here's why. It wasn't made for uh, the success of comedy or short videos. Vine was made for stop motion animators and people that just wanted to make six second blips of their life. Twitter in video form almost. Yeah. The brevity of it. Um, but, you know, like anything, it, it turned into something more. And, you know... Brevity is the soul of wit. So if somebody can, you know, spark off punchlines in six seconds. That is real talent. Yeah. They're looking, yeah, they're looking at this app like this is, this could be lucrative. Mm -hmm. So it started with this, just this kind of very artsy community, which is what the creators originally intended. And then it became, oh shit, people are like literally making people laugh. These are becoming like animated GIFs with, you know, like, punchlines in them and, and people are doing this. And then it became, it started growing and there was no talk about monetization. The creators didn't care about the comedians and all the people that were getting big because they were just like, Hey, this is not what we meant it for. Like, you know, yeah. do your thing. They started to get favorites, you know, in the realm of like who they thought they were funny and whatnot. And they would, you know, throw them a, a nod here and there. But more than anything, they didn't have a structure for monetization at all. Mm -hmm. uh, which you see TikTok is doing beautifully at, whether it be a sponsored ad in the feed or allowing companies and brands to push posts in sponsored realms. Um, and that's not to say that TikTok is doing that so they can pay the creators because ultimately that's not the case. I mean, creators get paid in a creator fund, but it's pennies on the dollar if that. And Vine never did that. Vine could have easily done that. Even when they took over new ownership with Twitter, Twitter could have implemented some kind of like, uh, you know, monetization through the feed or having brands connect and being the third party. But companies like Niche and Grape Story, uh, they were the ones that were like, hey, we're going to barter these deals for the Viners. And, you know, you're not going to get any of it, Vine. And, yeah. and, you know, the, you know, the servers to hold up Vine, I once heard was millions of dollars a month. And for Twitter to spend millions of dollars a month on something that absolutely no had revenue. No, no revenue, they had to cut the lights out on one of them. And whether it be Twitter or Vine, they knew you know they were never going to cut the lights off at Twitter. Um, I think they should have started implementing you know the the the, the same Instagram TikTok thing where they would they had you know branded content on your feed and whatever that could pay some of the bills or whatnot, or they should have combined the two. They should have taken all your following on Vine, threw it to Twitter, and made Twitter an app where you could either upload a tweet or a Vine. Yeah. And it would have saved it. And it would have 
taken a lot of the things that I think a lot of us worked for, Chad, myself, and given it a home. So much of uh, entrepreneurship is just about iterating. Like they got onto something, like they built something on accident that was yeah. like the biggest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't an early Vine adopter. I didn't know about it. I was more of a right. YouTube person. I knew YouTube uh, kind of creators and influencers more. And then when there was that like move over from Vine to YouTube and all those Viners came over there, it yeah. was like unbelievable. I mean, these people just like took over the platform. Yeah. You know, it was like all of the greatest talent. I'm like, where, where have all these people come from? You know, I think like, there was a large like there was this kind of unseen uh, rivalry there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of YouTubers that were already established when Vine They're started popping off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were just like, don't, you know, because a lot of YouTubers would start making Vines and their YouTube following would go and follow them over there. And then they would get like upset if you called them a Viner. You yeah. know, uh-huh. I saw that. And I, even with comedians, comedians would start getting on Vine and doing stuff. And if you, um, God, I remember an instance where I was I was doing background work for the show Undateable. And uh, that's like Brent Morin and Rick Glassman, Chris D'Elia, they were on that show. And Chris D'Elia was making vines, you know. He was just, he loved it as an app. He mm-hmm. loved doing silly stuff or whatever. And he, he, he got pretty popular on it by making that. But first and foremost, in his mind, he was like, I'm a comedian. I don't, I'm not a viner, you know, forget yeah. this. <laughs> But I remember somebody coming up to him and be like, yo, man, I love your vines. And he visibly was disgusted. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> oh. You know, like you can just see in his head, he's like, what about my years of comedy before all this? You know, like, but he handled it cool or whatever. And, you know, but after that person left, he audibly was like, fine. Yeah. You know, and I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that hurt me because like Vine was my that's thing. My whole know? business. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's my whole thing at this point, you know. But it's you know, it definitely had that. And and the thing about it was to me, YouTubers, I felt like, you know, get mad, whatever, or you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And some people did and they were great at it. And, you know, the thing about it is like if I ever had problems with a YouTuber that was like that looked down on me and talked down on me because, you know, we all went to the same conventions and influencer, whatever, meetups, mm-hmm. vid cons, all that stuff. If they ever treated me like that, my thing was like, yo, you're just mad that I can do what you do in six seconds. And it takes you 18 minutes and yeah. <laughs> it takes you 18 minutes, three hours of editing four people doing your your. So, you know, all that shit is is just like mind-boggling to me like it's it's youtube is such a career and it's like in their defense i could never do that Mm -hmm. i could never like sit there edit myself film myself write my stuff i mean i could it would just take me so long and i just wouldn't be happy you know i I would i would be working so much that i would not be happy so i think that's why you see a lot of burnout with the youtubers and absolutely a lot of unhappiness you know (laughs) like i and if people are if they're willing to be that unhappy for a while to where they can make the money to hire people to take care of most of that, that's great. Wonderful. But I just, no. Not for you. Not for so, me. Um, what, you talked about these uh, kind of tough jobs you were doing while you were kind of early in Vine and getting started. What, what were you doing for work? So the hard jobs were, you know, like <sighs> working for a journalism 
company that did like kind of developmental pieces like magazines and whatnot for areas to have a growth, like an economic development growth. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot to take in. But basically what I would do is I would go to a very, you know, poorly, poor economic area and I would get the city that I was in to kind of pull together a bunch of money in exchange for advertisements in the, in the magazine to be sold at trade shows and whatnot. And, you know, try to bring jobs into the city and try to bring job jobs into the area. And, um, you know, I guess the company that I worked for took a piece of whatever they were all pulling together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just sucked. I was traveling all the time, but like, not the traveling you want to do. Like you're going to, <laughs> going to like the you go to Del Rio, worst. Texas. You're yeah. going to Southeast Alabama. Like you're going to all these places. And um, yeah, actually, I lost that job just because I kind of figured out what the scheme was within the company, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I flipped it. I flipped it against them to kind of really actually help the area I was in because I'd grown so close to the Chamber of Commerce lady and all the people in the community were so great. Like that I just wanted to help. And I felt like my company was doing more damage than it was helping. So they were taking more than yeah. they were returning. So once I found out that they actually cut the budget for the school music program to apply it to what I was there for, I was like, Oh no, like this is actually doing much more damage. So I took all my commission and like gave it back to the school so they could open up their music program again, because without a music program in my high school, I don't know what, where the hell I'd be. What would you do in music? Oh, I mean, I'm an artist. I, I'm, I'm a singer songwriter too. I do a lot of different uh, stuff with music, but I produce, you know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I am uh, heavy in the, the writing realm as well. So how'd you get into that? You know, growing up, my, uh, my father is really kind of a, a big vessel in the music of uh, Louisiana and like the, the history of music in Louisiana. He's, he was the Louisiana music commissioner for several, several years. And he dealt with, you know, all the festivals and local artists in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just had a house full of instruments and that's what I did when I was bored. I just played music and uh, I, I, I fell in love with it. Yeah. You know, it's something to me, there's like this kind of like, purgatory and safety when you're somebody with uh bipolar i have you know I'm, I'm bipolar and there's like this i guess this anchor that you, that that people that are bipolar form in order to kind of stay grounded from both sides and i think music has always been that for me mm-hmm. and um whether it be making it or listening to it i just uh i just have a very passionate relationship with music and it's uh always something that's kind of taken me, you know, either down a peg or up a notch. Mm -hmm. So when you say that it is your anchor, like when you're sensing, whether it's like a mania or sensing kind of depression going on, do you like turn to music to kind of like stabilize and find? I think ultimately music, it's just the only thing that makes sense. You know, it's the only thing that it doesn't have an ego, you know, it doesn't have this place in your life that is, is against you or really, I mean, for you, it, it's so, 
I guess it's, what is it? Um, it's so neutral, but it's also just so beautiful in its power to uplift or make things understandable. You know, I, I, the best way to put it is I had a friend, Sam in college who just, you could not have a conversation with this kid. He was not eloquent at all. He spoke in riddles, it seemed, because he just did not, did not know how to formulate a sentence. Mm-hmm. And I was, always, I was always just worried about him. And then I took a songwriting class and I was like, Sam, you know, you should try this out. You know, get out of, uh, you know, this realm and all this stuff, you know, because we went to the same college together and there was songwriting was a, an actual class. And he got in that class and he, he had always known how to play guitar really well, but that class got him to write music. And man, for somebody who was never, ever able to articulate the way he felt or what was going on in his head, when he put pen to paper on music, you were able to understand him completely as an actual person. And that for me was like a metaphor of like what music does for situations, for people, you know, for battles, for struggles, for, you know, love, for relationships, for, you know, infidelity, for anything you can think of. Basically, you know, it was like, this is just like the translator as to what makes it make sense. Because Sam's like music was like, he would, he would sing a song and the lyrics in it were just like, oh, how did you come up with this? <laughs> and when you can't speak. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, it's so powerful, man. I mean, you can think back to like places you're at when you heard a certain song. Absolutely. Uh, you can think, you know, like, I mean, everybody's been in a relationship where they're thinking about somebody mm -hmm. all the time and this, they're just playing a song over and over. Like, well, thinking about that person or getting pumped up for a basketball game or like, I love being on a dance floor and just hearing a song and being like, right. man, I got energy, you know? So music is totally powerful. Um, so... With your bipolar, are you on medication now? I have been off medication for just a couple of months. Um, you know, admittedly, I don't, I don't do the right things with medication because I just feel like I, it doesn't accommodate most parts of my life in the way that it makes me react. Um, so if it takes one part of the evil and mitigates it, there's a part of the not the so evil yeah, yeah. that, that uh -huh. you know, I can't embrace, so to speak, or I can't, you know, enlighten on. So it so kind of stops you from being who you feel like you are a little bit. A hundred percent. Especially in the, in the realm of creating content. I become somewhat of a zombie, you know, it's yeah. like, and I don't have that ambition. Things aren't necessarily funny to me. So if I can't find humor in anything, then it's hard for me to, to create it. And something mm -hmm. else. Do you feel like when you're off it, like it presents other challenges and like, how do you try to manage that? When you're off it, I think it definitely presents a challenge of out of your control. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing more anxiety ridden to me than not having control, especially when it comes to like my own shit. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it does, it, it poses there. It makes it hard for me to, do things that I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to stomach. It makes it hard for me to be around people, um, have a significant other, uh, just because, you know, I think 
in that context, there's, there's always somebody like when you're with them or you're, you're getting into a relationship or you're getting to know someone where if it's not already happening, sure to follow is you kind of being with them a lot, right? Like Mm -hmm. not necessarily moving in right away, but you guys are spending a lot of time together. And for me, it's like, I don't care how much I love you. I don't care how great you are to me. After four days or sometimes even 24 hours of us being in the same four walls consistently, I want you out of my life. I want you out (laughs) of the way. I need my time. Yeah. Regenerate. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm suffocated. I'm so suffocated. And it's, it's hard. That's such a hard thing to explain to somebody that doesn't know the feeling Mm -hmm. because you're sitting there and you're looking at somebody who's just spent all this time with you, falling in love with you. And you're telling them that you can't stand them, but it's not in a sense of like, I don't love you. It's just in a sense of like, I personally cannot be around you anymore. You know, and it's hard because they're like, why? You know, this isn't what love is to me. And it's like, (laughs) I know, but that's what it is to me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So my, uh, my wife was diagnosed bipolar, uh, probably six or seven years after we got married. Oh, okay. And so, and it really onset after our second child was born. And so I've definitely gone from knowing nothing about uh, bipolar disorder to like feeling like my entire life was slipping away from me. And the person that I married is like not that person anymore and is going through like these crazy manias where like, and that to me is more concerning than the depression. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or scary, you know, you absolutely don't know what somebody will do because their inhibition is like zero, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was a, uh, my wife is on medication and she feels really balanced and healthy, but it was two years of, uh, going to that. And she spent six weeks in a mental hospital, you know, and trying to like wow. hang in there. And we had three little kids too. So it was just, a yeah, man, craziest okay. situation, you know? Sorry, I'm sorry you both had to go through that. I know how nasty it can get, um, you know, and dealing with it myself, mania. Yeah. And also, you know, that it, it's, it runs in my family. So, you know, I've seen it, you know, and I, I remember seeing it from the outside looking in when I was a child and thinking, you know, oh man, that's awful. Like, so when it hit me and like, you know, it's, it's definitely something that's a learning curve for you and everybody mm-hmm. around you. Yeah. You know. Like I had to make this kind of decision of like, how am I going to be able to support her? <laughs> right. Do I want to be able to support her? Cause it was like so challenging, you know, and it was, um, tell you. you know, I just had to learn kind of, you know, what her triggers were and what was her and what was kind of the illness. And it's very admirable, man. And, and yeah. if I can tell you anything that to give you any kind of solace in the situation, I think it's, it's amazing that you were able to, sit through it, sit with it and be there and make it work. Um, you know, as, as strong and, and as brave and as, as, uh, you know, as wonderful as you, as your wife is with it and how she's handling it. It really says so much to the effort that you were able to do that because as somebody with bipolar, who's been in, you know, enough relationships to know it's not easy for mm-hmm. the other person. My wife was lucky in that, uh, we were together for a long time before yeah. <laughs> things got really bad. So I was committed. I was very committed. That's good. But, but I also knew how special she was, you know, yeah. and I felt like, hey, she's so special that I don't want to give up on her. And also like, man, how would I feel like 
if this person that I committed my whole eternity to right. was like, hey, I'm, it's hard, man. I'm going to walk away, you know? And so, yeah, she, yeah, it's so great. Like, and I look at our life now too. We've got these three kids. We have a 15-year-old, a uh, 13-year-old, and 11-year-old. And it's been 10 years since wow. that kind of hospitalization, really like terrifying time, you know? And uh, it's yeah. like, we have such great things. And it's like, when you're in the, your toughest moments, it's hard to see 10 years down the road and be like, wow, our life is incredible. Like what? Wow. You know? And so um, that is something I try to remember now and be like, wow, how grateful I am that we've gotten to this point. But if you just plug along, man. That's great, man. That's great to in. hear. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, you know, cause oftentimes it's, it's so easy for me to feel like it's not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, so when I hear stories like that, it really, it definitely brightens up a lot of what I, what I think could, could be. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so tough, man. Cause I, I know medication has been a huge part of her, uh, like stability, mm-hmm. but she does, you know, she felt like in some ways her, her bipolar was a superpower, you know? <laughs> It was like, do. there are some things that you can do and some energy and some inspiration that you can get from that, um, that you just can't have otherwise. And, yeah. uh, you know, for her, she's willing to sacrifice a portion of that, but she, she had this desire to get better and not just cave in, you know, I think it's, it's such an intimidating thing when you have like, you're fighting this disease, you know, it's like, She's like, I want to do whatever I can to be like healthy and back and be a supportive right. spouse and mother. And, and so it was, it was, uh, she did so much to like fight to have her health. So. Good on her, man. That's, you know, it, it's such a dark place to be when making that decision and, and not only making it, but following through with it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's amazing. So I had a question a little bit about like your inspiration for your comedy. Like, does a lot of that come from kind of dark places or are you generally like happy when you're doing your comedy? Like where does that come from for you? I mean, it it definitely, um, I think comedy can be made from happy for sure. Um, but I think the best comedy is definitely made from dark and, uh, you know, a lot of times growing up dealing with this and not, not knowing what it was, that was the toughest part, not knowing what it was. Um, the only thing in my head that I could do to distract and, or take me away from it was make myself laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I, I did that by kind of not necessarily catering or pandering, but just learning you know, what, what people thought was funny around me, you know, like watching my mother always had on Saturday night live when I was a kid. And you know, that, that's when it was hilarious. That's like when it was really funny. And um, when we were, or sorry, who were, who was on the show when it was a hilarious. I grew up in like the Adam Sandler, Rob Snyder, Chris Farley. And then the, like the Will Ferrell, David Spade, like, 
you know, Sherry O'Terry, all that stuff. A little bit of Norm MacDonald in there. Norm MacDonald was like right at, it was right at the cusp of like the end of Norm MacDonald. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I watched all that and I was like super into that. I was very much into imagination and creating like characters and people that I wasn't because that to me was like, yo, if you can spend the most of your time being someone else, you don't have to worry about who you are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would, I would do that. I would do it to a point where it's like, it had to annoy my friends. Cause they were just like, wow, like when's the last time we talked to Jeff and not <laughs> the 600 characters in his mind. Um, but you know, it's, it's still like, you know, something where you had mentioned before, like you knew your wife years before and you decided that she was so incredible that you were going to, you were going to power through it. And that's been my whole life mm-hmm. is, is making friends and losing friends because the only ones that stick around are the ones that decide that I'm incredible enough yeah. to stick it out. Um, and it's sad. And, you know, I don't hold any grudges. It is what it is. I, I, I would never, ever want to deal with myself. So I get it. Um, but I do think that there is enough, you know, awesomeness and wonderfulness and, and humility gratitude and and you know everything else to to stick around for me and i would mm-hmm. but uh the comedy thing is like one of those things where it's like i will pull from that darkness and i will make it worth something uh i think a lot of a lot of my mania is geared towards like overdoing content maybe yeah uh you know my mother or, you know, somebody close to me will check on me if I'm posting or doing way too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, Hey, yeah, you know, check in, <laughs> want to check in, don't decide to, you know, take any last minute trips or fly <laughs> anywhere. And, you know, which I've, I've been pretty good about not doing that spontaneous stuff anymore. Maybe we could turn off your finances, like not allow you to <laughs> have access to your own money for a while. Right. Oh, maybe it's sometimes, I don't know. I'm so, I'm, I'm usually pretty good with money, so it's uh, you know, it's, I, that was a lesson I had to learn. But that was yeah. What's the uh, like funniest thing that you feel like you've ever done? Like you've made yourself laugh the hardest. Ah, that's a great question. Because you know the things that I'm probably most popular for are my least favorite things. Uh huh. <laughs> um. Wow. What a question. You know, for me, it's always just the stuff that has, it's just so effortless. Um, and I think like I live stream too, and I do um, stuff on Twitch where like, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but the, the game Grand Theft Auto. Familiar. Basically, it, it, through another company, or not another company, through another engine, it allows people to get on the game and use the city and the character creation in order to do role play. So you could create this, you know, somebody can create this city on the server where people get in there and they have to improv, create a character and, you know, live this life basically, but, you know, have these interactions where they're kind of playing the role of real people that are, you know, whatever. And I do a lot of different characters in doing that. You know, I do like a grandmother. I do like a, a cowboy cop. 
you know, mafia guy, uh, you know, like a redneck biker guy. Like, so I'm in there just kind of like yeah. <laughs> unloading all this shit in my head, you know, at any given time, deciding, you know, depending on who I decide to be that night or whatever. And it's the hardest I ever laugh. Like I'll have to, you know, like do, you know, do an interaction and then pull, pull the mic away. Um, just because it's all so fresh. It's like all such organic, quick witted comedy. And that's like my favorite thing. Uh, you know, it's the same when I did stand up. That was like my favorite crowd work was the, was my, the funnest thing. I could write a five to 10, 15 minute set. It's perfect. It's gold, but it's never going to be anywhere near the amount of gold. If some sorority chick in the front says something stupid that I can literally just go off of for the next 30 minutes and all the content I wrote is out the window because they're loving this and I'm loving it. So that is the best comedy when you can just like be in the moment and you know, I like to think that I'm a funny guy, but it, for me, it's all about like, just like, being a wit and just exploding and kind of like trying to set yourself up a little bit for it, but it's, it comes at the moment and it just, you can just make yourself just die with humor, you know? And so. Absolutely. So what, what's the stuff that uh, you're famous for and people like the most, but you don't like? <sighs> a long time ago, I started imitating um, my own grandmother Oh, man, that's the best stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not that I, I hate it. I, I don't hate it because it, it came from a place of like what I would do as a child in order to laugh at, you know, situations or whatever. And God bless my sweet grandmother. But her and my mother and my aunt would always, you know, kind of talk to each other this way in this heavy New Orleans accent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a kid watching that growing up, you know, it was hilarious to me because I'd watch TV where nobody sounded like that. And then I'd turn the TV off and my aunt, my mother, and my grandmother were just like speaking a different language to me. So, you know, I'd go back to school and it was heavy, 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 heavy accent. I'd go back to school and I would do that all day. And, you know, my friends <laughs> would just, just be like, this is like our mothers and our grandmothers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess... <laughs> I just one day got the urge to behind the camera act as if, you know, I was just a lady from New Orleans like that who had just never seen luxurious things in a hotel room, but put her own spin on explaining them. Almost like she was sending a story back to her family, like, you know, oh my God, look, look at all this, you know, like, (laughs) so it it blew up Mm -hmm. and hundreds of millions of views, you know, throughout Facebook, Vine, YouTube, all that other stuff. And, you know, at first it's like, this is so cool that so many people are laughing at this. Then like, you know, it becomes the Rick James, Dave Chappelle thing where it's like anybody that sees you do the thing, you know, (laughs) do it, do more of this. And it's just like, ah, you know, but I brought it back recently on TikTok. And of course, you know, it does well. It always does well. Or, you know, there's an instance where it's a sound that somebody uses on a popular video, but I haven't, they, they give me no credit, you know, yeah. it's all like they, I have sounds on TikTok that are being used by, you know, millions and millions of people, but I get tagged in it. Like, yo, Jason, is this you? Of course it is. But you would never know that because nobody mm-hmm. would tag me. And that, but respect that's the, people. 
That's kind of the thing about when you do content without your face in it, though. You have to mm-hmm. kind of expect that, really. So. Well, I'll never ask you to do that in person for me. <laughs> but no, I will. I'll do it for you, Will. I'll do it for you. Next time we're in a casino together, I'll do it for you. Do it for Jay. He, he'll, do it for uh, Jay. he'll lose it. Um, do you know Mark Cuban? Uh, I do. Not on a, like a, we're not, we're not like chummy. We're not like pals, but, uh, the interactions that we've had were, what a great guy. I, uh, I saw a post that you had and you're just like hanging out in the background. Uh, Some DJs (laughs) play in rips off another DJ's shirt and gives it to Mark Cuban as a napkin. He wipes his face and you're just like hanging out in the background. Like you guys are homies. And I'm like, Oh yeah. What so is it's the story? A, it's, a, it's a good story, actually. Um, so I live out here in Vegas, and my buddy Max and I sometimes do social media content for artists, uh, brands, celebrities, mm-hmm. whatever. And basically, what they'll do is they'll be like, "Hey, like we need ideas for TikTok. You know, you guys are funny. You know, come up with something." Max is like great at editing, mm-hmm. and so like I met up with the Chainsmokers that day. And Max and we, you know, storyboarded like 15 TikTok ideas, you know, uh, at the time that there was like a trend going around where people, if people needed a napkin, you ripped the shirt off of your friend or whatever, <laughs> but I don't necessarily like to just do trends. Like I always like to make it a little different. So, um, I'm, I'm like battling the idea of even doing this trend. I'm like, I don't think we should do it. Like, it's just very kind of easy. It's like a shortcut. Of course, you know. It would have done, it's always going to do good because it's a trend. It's, you know, the chain smokers, whatever. It's during a live show. But I'm still like, you know, it doesn't feel, in my core of creativity and being original, it doesn't feel good to do this. Then I see Mark Cuban. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Cuban's just casually there because he's, he's worked with the chain smokers on, on many different projects or, you know, supposedly Mm -hmm. from what I hear. And, um, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to ask him. And I went up to him and I was like, Mark, how you doing, man? My name is Jay. And he was so like nice. Also just like acted, ex- acted excited to meet me. He's like, oh, Jay. Yes. And I was, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm doing stuff. Uh, actually, I'm not even here for me. I'm doing stuff for chain smokers. And I'd love to include you in one of their, their TikToks. And he was like, whatever you need, just direct me. I'm in. Just tag me. M Cuban. Uh-huh. And I was like, <laughs> I got you, buddy. So, uh, you know, Max took the, the phone to record. I was like, you're going to be the guy that asked for a napkin, Mark. Can you do that for me? And he's like, yes. So I, I make the sign napkin question mark on my Snapchat. Mm-hmm. I screenshot it. So it comes up as an image. And I'm like, Mark, all you got to do is hold this and act like you need a napkin. When they give you this shirt, wipe your mouth. He was like, in his head, he's probably like, what the hell is this? This doesn't make any sense. I don't like TikTok, whatever. But he went for it. He 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 was uh he was a trooper, man. And in one take, the you know, Encore, I think it was, gave Drew of the Chainsmokers a t-shirt mm-hmm. to rip. He put it on. We had kind of like scissored the thing yeah. that would be an easy rip. And and uh the other guy, uh, Alex you know, look back at Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban was holding the sign that said napkin. I I made sure that I, you know, got my little cameo in there. I was like, you know, (laughs) 
And uh, they, it, it happened, man. And it was great. It all went through. People freaked out. My fear was like, oh, people are definitely filming this. They're going to upload it before we can. Mm-hmm. But no, you know, the, the Chainsmokers original video did better than everybody's uploads, which is good. Yeah, man. And, you know, you had the better angles, probably. Absolutely. I, uh, I sent a pillow to one of those guys. Really? The Chainsmokers. I can't remember... Uh, who it was? I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's hard to really differentiate the bearded uh, and non-bearded white DJs. Yeah, well, I um. Anyway, I I just don't listen to their music a lot. I am kind of like stuck in like nineteen nineties. <laughs> like well, I just yeah. still kind of do my like. Yeah, do you listen to Fuel? You know, Pearl, yeah, Pearl Jam, and you know, it's just I love all that. I just do it. Well, love 90s pumpkins. alternative yeah you talk about music taking you to a different place 90s alternative will always take me to a different place <laughs> yeah. always so you talked a little bit about your friends so you, you have some friends that have been there uh through it all how, how many guys do you feel like or gals have just been like your loyal trusted people <sighs> uh my roommate has definitely been through at all it has definitely like been like you know like a core energy cell mm-hmm. within the amoeba of like you know who yeah. I am. like <laughs> and him and i are so different like absolutely polar opposites of each other that you know it's it's kind of cool that it works out that way and that i can always you know look to him for that i have a couple other friends that are just like him uh definitely haven't known me as long um of course like my brother my sister my mother my my mom's my biggest fan and supporter. Yeah. Um, Does she watch all of your content? Every single second of anything I do, she is glued to the phone. Does she ever get offended, or is she just thinks it's all funny? <laughs> well, you know, I think sometimes <laughs> we we don't necessarily agree politically, me and my mom, and um, that's mainly because I don't give a shit about politics mm-hmm. one way or the other. You know, I don't really believe in a two party system. So you, you, this party sucks, this party sucks. I don't care. But, you know, if I'm if I morally just don't like something and it happens to land on one side, you know, then she'll be like, come on, you don't need to say that. And I'm just <laughs> like, uh. and she's absolutely right, because staying out of politics for me is is the best way to go from what I can make you happier. So yeah. I, on the friends thing, man, I, I feel like friends, it's one of the like core pieces of happiness you know having people that just have your back and you can like rely on because there's just gonna be moments in your life where you're like i need somebody to boost me i need somebody to kind of like hold me up you know and so having uh having those people's critical so i'm glad you got your roommate and and those friends um a couple of just kind of random things and i'll let you go but what's your favorite movie oh that's a good question. I love movies so much. So picking a favorite is going to be really hard for me. But, uh, man, I'm trying to think of a movie that I, like, I cannot, like in, in my DVD collection, that like I, I couldn't live without really. Yeah, for, and for me, it's like, what movie, if I played it, could I just watch a hundred times where I yeah. like would appreciate the little lines where I'm like, wow, that was worded so perfectly. 
Yeah, I mean, like Requiem for a Dream is like so good to me. That's like a movie that I'll always just be able to put on and watch all the way through. Beetlejuice, another one. It's just like it grabs me in like a way that's just like, you know, this this is my imagination at its finest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, then there's a, then there's like the the more serious ones, I guess. I you know that I'm I'm. I love, but I, you know, like there's so many of those that I can't even begin because I'll never stop. Have you seen uh, Beautiful Mind? I love Beautiful Mind. That's Great one of my film. all-time favorites. Like I remember when I watched it, I was at the theater in Provo. I was in college and uh, I was just like, man, this film is so emotional. It just like twisted me and turned me and I just loved it. And then it took on a whole new meaning, you know? Yeah. Really, uh, had, had some of those mental health challenges, but it's Absolutely. the one that's just... Fantastic movie. I'm a big Inglorious Bastards fan. I've probably said it on five podcasts, but I feel like the lines yeah. in that are just like perfect. And I just. That's a great one. Brad Pitt in that man, dude. He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he says nope, I've seen actually in a bunch of movies, he's like, nope. Yeah, he's love he, it. That's a big, that's a big Brad Pitt line for sure. Um, I, I love that. I love, I mean, I love uh, Tarantino. Yeah. As well. He's a big. Uh, you know, just very precise, I think, in, in his Absolutely. words and what he wants. And um, Are you a big reader? I, I get the feeling that you probably read a lot. I do, actually. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I used to read books over the summer and all of my friends would be like, what are you, like, what are you doing? I don't have time, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, to me, like, the more and more I felt that I read, the more and more I felt that I was like, just like very able to articulate and, and talk and speak with so much more purpose. Mm-hmm. And that like kind of vibed me up in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I was like, damn, like the more I read, the more I feel like I can speak, you know, from an educated perspective to where people are like, I don't know what he's saying, but I, I believe it. And I love this guy. <laughs> I, I honestly, I could sense that from you. I'm like, wow, I think this guy reads a lot and it's uh, the way you articulate ideas. But I think sometimes people who, well, not sometimes, I think people who read more have more individual thought. Mm. You know, they're able to like see different ideas and analyze them and be like, right. I'm into that or not, you know? And yeah. I was like, man, he looks like a guy who's reading a lot. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? Uh, I'm on a Steinbeck kick right now. Ooh. I've been doing a lot of uh, like, uh, you know, of Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, just because it, it, it is kind of nostalgic for me because I did read it in high school. Um, but more than anything, I think it's just like this capsule of certain things that, that inspire me go on within that work. So, so for PillCube listeners, uh, Jay's asked me to be on his podcast. So I'm just teasing that. Do you, do you want to? Yeah, uh, I mean, the um, podcast, they can I'm, come find I'm us. Really, I've been taking such a break with the podcast that. I think the comeback episode with something a little bit more interesting would be great. Um, and I've asked Will to be on it because Will has a knowledge of a specific topic that I think would be great to talk about seeing it as it's something that I'm very, very much like, you know, enamored by and very, very interested in. Uh, so my podcast is called Whatever It May Be. Uh, you know, it's available on all platforms, uh, but but I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in having you on there if you, yeah, I'm ready. you get the time. I'm ready. So uh, I'm going to be on your podcast, but there's going to be some Steinbeck related piece. I don't always talk about the Steinbeck related uh, 
subject matter that pertains to the Columbine shooting for me, but uh, oh gonna really? They, we're gonna get that in my podcast. I'm Dude, now we're I'm, saving it for the podcast. Yeah. Now I'm so intrigued. Yep. And I can't wait for that. I'm not gonna give it to you now. So. Well, that's good. But Don't s- give it to me now. Steinbeck will come. Uh, if you could meet anyone in the world currently living, who would it be? Wow. Probably Leonardo DiCaprio. Dude's been around. He's been around. He's, uh, you know, one of those things where it's like, you can't imagine your, your childhood, you know, without seeing his face so much. And then following his career and his great, you know, acting and whatnot. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm also an actor. Like I've always wanted to act mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I've acted in, in cert, acted in certain things. And, you know, I think the, uh, kind of the, the inspiration that comes behind what I would love to do in dramatic roles is definitely like very DiCaprio-esque. And, and I, I just so heavily inspired by him that it would be nice to meet him. And I, you know, he's one of the, one of my idols that I've never met. You know, so let's do it, man. Let's figure out a way. Let's make it happen. If you're listening, you got to into Leo. I'm going to just kind of brainstorm. I'm going to like find his people, start gifting them pillows. (laughs) Right. There you go, dude. Like all the surrounding, like we'll we'll, kind of work into Leo. Um, Hit Leo on here. Dude, he's uh, uh, gosh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? He plays Arnie. Amazing. Dude. That's like Oscar stuff, man. It was like one of the greatest roles. I love it. It just brought me so, ha- so, so much happiness. Much, so many things he's done is, is yeah. Oscar worthy. The very least of which I thought is what he got an Oscar for. That was Revenant, right? The Revenant. Yeah. Which yeah I, mean, I thought he's, was fine. He's you know? great in it, but that's a Tom Hardy movie. Yeah. I loved Departed. I, I mean, there's, there's a song oh. for him. Departed, Basketball Diaries. Basketball Diaries uh, is tough for me. Yeah. But, um, Save that for another podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, uh, man. I loved talking to you. Uh, before the podcast, you're like, hey, I do a lot of these. I'm good at it. And you know what? I, You were good at it. <laughs> you were great. I love chatting. And uh, Awesome. You know, uh, if we can do anything for you at Pillicube, let us know. And then, uh, you know, I, I think you need to sit down and chat with Jay sometime. Maybe hop on a call together. But... I, I think yeah. you need to do some uh, creative. Jay's got that creatively agency that, you know. Oh, yeah. Do some stuff together. Absolutely, so, man. Let's, let's chat and figure it out. But uh, thanks for uh, joining the podcast and have a good one. Hey, man. Thank you. Have a good one.